there is feedback on my phone. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so <clears throat> we're going to dismiss for Children's Church ages four years old through fourth grade. If you want to follow my, yes, sir, I will turn it on. My wife is going to be leading Children's Church this, this uh, Sunday morning, and then our family will be doing Children's Church for the rest of the month. So if you guys are ages four years old through fourth grade, go ahead and join her out there. <clears throat> Give them a chance there. Okay, so this morning we are going to be preaching from Galatians chapter number five. Actually, Galatians chapter number six. Galatians chapter number six. Sorry, just trying to get everything set up and preach at the same time. <laughs> so, okay. Galatians chapter number six. Recently we had, it was probably a few months ago now, we had a Bible study month over the book of Galatians. So a lot of us are probably pretty familiar with the content of the book. But uh, as I was studying for this message, I've been studying over the topic of our responsibilities as members of this church to each other kind of following the phrase that's used throughout the Bible, one another, okay? Wherever there's a one another passage, it's talking about how we are to interact with each other within the church. And so I started off with a message, again, I'm just giving some introduction, some review here, but we talked about how we are commanded to have fervent charity one for another. Our, the basis of all of our relationships with each other in the church is love, and we are to have a fervent love one for another. And then last week, I talked about how we are to have hospitality one for another, okay? And hospitality, I think a lot of times is something that we ignore because it is sometimes inconvenient. It costs us time. It costs us money. But honestly, how can you have relationships with people that you never spend any time with, right? And that brings us into today's message, which is found in Galatians 6. And we'll start with verse number 2 here. I'm going to preach through the first five verses, but I just want to introduce it here. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that is the, that is the one another that we are going to be looking at together. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so as I studied this, this question, I've kind of hit at some of the points that I'm going to be making today in other messages that I have preached. But this statement here, is a solution to a problem. And so what I wanted to ask myself is, what is the problem that we face in American churches that needs to be fixed by this statement here, okay? Because honestly, what's, what's the good of preaching a message if it has no application to your life, right? And a lot of times in American churches, we are seeing that people are constantly moving from church to church, and that's not always a bad thing, right? Because sometimes God just has a church that is better fit for you. But we see constantly people just hopping from church to church. We also see that 66% of our young adults ages 18 through 22 are dropping out of church completely, right? And so we have this problem here where people are not sticking with it in churches. That's kind of the, the issue that I want to deal with today, sticking with it through the hard times, through the, the painful times, through the difficult people that you have to deal with, the difficult relationships that are in churches, right? Because we are all people. Are any of us perfect in here? No, none of us are, right? 
Some of us are annoying. I'm kind of annoying probably, okay? So, but there is a way that we need to get to along together because God has called us again into this body, this church. And we shouldn't just run away when things don't go our way, when things are difficult. And so the title of my message this morning is called Divorcing the Church, okay? When you think about marriage, marriage is a perfect illustration for this. We are, marriage is a covenant that a man and a wife make together basically to stick through it, through the thick and the thin, for richer or for poorer, right? D Daniel, did you guys say traditional vows? Okay, yeah. So for richer or for poorer, okay? We promise to each other to stick with it. It's the same idea when we join a church. The church is likened to a bride, the bride of Christ, but we are in a relationship. We've made a covenant together when we join this church, when we become members here. And so there is a relationship that shouldn't be easily broken, that shouldn't be taken for granted. Just like a marriage, I'm not going to divorce my wife because she burnt my toast this morning. She didn't make me toast at all this morning, but anyways. Okay, so I'm not going to just divorce her because of some problem that exists. Or you're irritating me today, so bye, I'm gone, I'm out of here, right? There, there is a commitment to that relationship that keeps us together, it glues us together. And it's the same thing with churches. So when I started researching this, I started reading some articles talking about why people leave churches, okay? And a lot of the articles that I read came up with very similar answers. One article by Ron Edmondson, a Baptist pastor at, uh, yeah, it doesn't say the name of the church, okay. So, but a Baptist pastor that I was reading, he kind of summarized a lot of the reasons. And we're not going to deal with all of these, I just want to really highlight two of them in what we're going to be talking about today. But the first one is burnout, okay? I'm a worker in the church. A lot of you guys are workers in the church. And this isn't a huge church. So sometimes the workers in the church do a lot of different things. And it's very easily easy to get burnt out, to get tired, to get exhausted, doing 50 to 60 hours at work, then coming into church and working in the church and dealing with people's problems and your own problems, and your kids' problems. Okay, sorry, I'm getting too personal here. Okay, so, but dealing with these problems, and it's easy to get burnt out because you don't have the emotional energy to continue doing it. And so you know what? Say, okay, I'm, I'm gone. I feel like I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm worn out, I'm going somewhere else, okay? Could also be injury, and this is one of the ones that we'll be talking about today. All churches are composed of people. You will get hurt at some point by somebody in some way. That's just, that's a guarantee. It's gonna happen because not a single person in this building is perfect. And if you're going around looking for a perfect church, you will not find it because people will always disappoint you. Sorry to be so cynical, but they will. You will be hurt by people sometime or, or later. And honestly, pastors are men too. Preachers are men. You're gonna disagree with something that they said at some point. And if we allow these injuries to be what drives us away, it's gonna destroy the church, it's gonna hurt. Every time somebody leaves, it hurts the dynamic of this church, honestly. Now there are good reasons for leaving, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but we need to deal with the injuries and the hurts that exist. The other one is distractions, okay? Now I don't think this is so much of an issue at this church, but I have been in churches where one of the biggest distractions that families face is their kids' sports, okay? Their kids' sports activities are always on a Sunday. They're always on a Wednesday. And so they skip out. I've known assistant pastors who've let their kids skip out on church because of sports and everything. 
And it's not, it's not just sports. It's all kinds of things. It could be any kind of activity that, that you enjoy doing that just distracts us. It keeps us from focusing on the Lord. And so we get so distracted that eventually church stops be, being important to us. And so we just stop coming. Okay? Life changes could also be another reason why people leave churches. And now necessarily, I'm not going to say this is wrong. If you get married and your husband's at another church, maybe you should go to the other church, okay? Don't split up the family just so you can go to the church. But sometimes life changes occur, and that means that you've got you've to leave, that you have circumstances that mean you've got to go somewhere else, okay? Another thing is mistakes are made. Sometimes, again, we're all, we're all humans. We make mistakes, and it can be shameful to have to be around people that know you made those mistakes, right? That something drastic happened in your life. Maybe you weren't even the one who caused the problem, but you feel a sense of shame. One example that I, that I use this is, is divorce, okay? Is divorce something that God likes? It, it, is not, it is not God's desire for a husband and wife to be divorced. But you know what? There are circumstances where sometimes that just happens, okay? How do we treat people who are in that category? Do we make them feel like they're living in shame and they have to hide from us and, and bury this and, and feel like they're constantly in sin because of this situation? No. Some people can't help the situations that they've been put into. You know? And so mistakes are, are, have been made and sometimes people live under that stress, that pain, and it causes them to want to move away because they can't deal with it anymore. Sometimes it's a power struggle. How many of you guys have ever heard of a church split before? Okay, Happen, happens a lot. Some guy gets in the church and he wants to be followed by a bunch of people. He wants to be prominent. So he takes off this big group of people. And when he doesn't get, get the authority in the church, they all leave and they go start their own church. Okay, sometimes actually that's a good thing. No. So, okay, you got this 3,000 member church that probably should just be a bunch of 100 member churches. And splitting off might do them some good. Okay. But power struggles can cause people to leave churches. And sometimes the people who weren't part of the power struggle leave because they don't like the situation and how it was handled, right? Another one is a lack of connection, okay? People come into church and they sit in the pew and sometimes they don't get involved, okay? Sometimes we don't make them feel welcome and so they leave. Honestly, I feel like visitors that come to the church, a lot of times this is why they don't come back because they don't feel like they've been welcomed by the people of the church. They don't feel like they have a place here at this church because we aren't welcoming them. We, and it's more than just going up and shaking their hand. It needs to be, they need to feel like they have a place here, like they fit here. And so we need to go and help people make that connection. But on the flip side, there are people who've been, who've been coming to church who, and all, all churches, they come to church and they just sit in the pew for years and years and years and they don't do anything. They don't participate with anybody. They don't make friends in the church. So yes, they're going to feel a lack of connection because they cut themselves off, okay? So these, these are some of the reasons that cause people to leave churches. I really, in this message, I want to deal with two of those reasons. I want to deal with the mistakes that cause us shame or the, basically, our weaknesses, okay? And I also want to deal with the issue of being injured at church. I believe this text deals with this problem because oftentimes as Christians we split from each other because we either do not deal with serious problems or we lack the ability to just put up with the everyday problems that arise. Again, we are human beings. 
and issues will come up. People will disappoint you, but if you do not know how to deal with these disappointments, you will constantly find yourself distancing yourself from other people. So before we delve right into the text, I want to kind of take a step back and look at the context, okay? You guys remember what the book of Galatians was generally dealing with? It had two purposes, okay? It was telling you you could not be saved by the law, but you're saved by faith, okay? And then it had a second side to it where I was saying that we cannot live the Christian life by keeping the law, but we have to walk in the spirit, okay? That goes back to chapter number five. Let's go to verse 16, chapter five, verse 16. It says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are the contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory provoking one another, to provoking one another, envying one another, okay? So the challenge here is that if we have been made alive, we have been born again by God's spirit, we are to live by God's spirit. We cannot live the Christian life through a list of rules of do's and don'ts, of things that we feel we have to do. The Christian life is accomplished by living in the spirit. The spirit will help us, will enable us to do right, to do what God desires. And so I feel like in this passage, what's happening is here we have people who are not living in the spirit, and because they were not living in the spirit, they were living in the flesh, what was the result? It was sin, okay? They were trying to live their Christian life by the flesh, and ultimately they failed, they sinned, they, they did these things probably up here that says the works of the flesh are, the, are manifest, okay? And then it says in verse, in chapter number six, our first verse, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. If we walk in the spirit, what's the ultimate result? We're going to be overtaken in a fault, okay? That's kind of how this ties in to the text here. So I've got three points. The first one we're going to look at here is the overtaken believer, Okay. Now, this word overtaken is the idea of taken by surprise, okay? Now, how many of us, when we sin, did it by accident? Everybody? No? Most of us, we do, we do it on purpose, honestly. So it's kind of an enigma to think of a man being overtaken by a fault. But we have a passage in Romans chapter number 7, if you want to turn there real quick, Romans chapter number 7 which describes, I think, what most Christians who are trying to do the right thing, 
their, their current struggle that they live with. Romans chapter number 7. <clears throat> okay, starting in verse number 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Basically, the law was given to teach us what our sin is. Okay? But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the, law, when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin, by the commandment, might be com become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And then here's, here's the important verses right here. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. This is pretty common experience for Christians who are trying to do what is right. I mean, obviously, if you want to do what's wrong, this is probably not your experience because you're just giving in and doing wrong. But those of us who want to do right, oftentimes we feel powerless to actually do the right that we want to do. And this makes sense in the context of Galatians because these men were trying to live their Christian lives in the flesh by the law. And the law could not produce holiness. It could not give them the strength to do what is right. And so, yes, they want to do what was right, but they were overtaken by a fault. Okay, going back to Galatians chapter number six. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, okay, a fault here is a false step. And it is being contrasted with trespass from chapter three, verse 19. In chapter three, verse number 19, it says, wherefore then serveth the law, it is added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So transgressions, okay? So it's being contrasted with transgressions here. Basically, a, f a fault is something you did not necessarily intend to do or you did not realize the consequence to it. But a trespass would be, I'm blatantly, I'm choosing to go to the other side. I'm trespassing the lines, okay? If you see a sign out on a building says, do not trespass, you read the sign, you have a choice right then and there. Are you going to go, okay? 
Depends on if there's candy involved. No, okay. So, but you have a choice at that moment. Am I going to break this rule and trespass where I should not be? Okay. So this is a Christian who has been overtaken in a fault. He's the one who has been living a legalistically righteous life instead of walking in the spirit. Because you cannot overcome your sin by sticking it out, struggling through, and manning it up. You can only overcome sin by walking in the spirit, okay? <clears throat> so this man has been overtaken in a fault because of his lack of walking in the spirit. Then the second point is, talks about the restoration, okay? Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now in, <clears throat> in the Bible, we have a concept that Jesus taught that talks about church discipline, Okay? Churches sometimes have to discipline people out of their midst. This is not the goal to kick people out, okay? Rather, the goal is what this passage talks about in Galatians. It is restoration. Our, our relationships as believers includes confronting sin when we see it, okay? That is what is being described here in Galatians chapter number six. If there is blatant disregard for God's will, for what God says is right, and there is sin, we should deal with it, but we're to deal with it in a certain way. It's not going up to somebody, slapping them across the head and saying, hey, stop doing that, you idiot, okay? That is not what God is expecting of us. We are to do it in love. We are, and honestly, to not say something is to not love our brother in Christ. We show love by saying, hey, this is destroying your life. This is messing up your relationship with God. It's messing up your relationship with us. Messing, messing up maybe your relationship with your wife and your kids. This is an issue that needs to be dealt with, okay? And so that, that's where this kind of applies to the injury situation that I talked about, why people leave churches. Sometimes people do stupid stuff. We need to deal with it. Don't pretend like it didn't happen. Deal with it and try to restore that, that brother in the Lord. Pretending like it didn't happen just encourages other people to say, you know what, that hurt me, I'm going to leave because nobody did anything about it. Okay. You which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. So who, is, who are the people who are supposed to be doing the restoring? It is the spiritual. Okay, Not just us. Us is a good answer because we are all supposed to be spiritual. But it is the spiritual people. Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness and fear. Again, his sin was caused by his lack of walking in the spirit. So how are we going to fix that problem if we are not ourselves walking in the spirit? Because a, a person who's walking in the flesh is going to encourage people to walk in the flesh like he is. That's his experience. That's how he overcomes sin in his life, overcomes sin in his life, okay? We have to be walking in the spirit if we are going to truly restore these people to victory over sin in their life. Because they cannot have that victory if they themselves are not walking in the spirit, okay? So ye which are spiritual, restore or repair to a former good condition. Our goal isn't to cast people off who make mistakes. It isn't, okay, so some girl, she got pregnant when she wasn't supposed to. She feels sorry about it, she's confessed it, she's repented. What is, what is our response? Do we treat her like, oh, she's that single girl who's got a baby now, okay? Do we look at her sideways and, treat her like she's dirty, filthy? Or do we restore her to a former good condition? 
do we restore her to all the benefits and blessings of a relationship with this church that she had before? If she has truly repented and made that right, okay? That is the goal. The primary thing is that they need to, they need to be set right about what was not the act, about the sin that they have committed. But ultimately, it is not necessarily that they have committed a sin that needs to be corrected. Again, what needs to be corrected is the fact that they were not walking in the spirit. They were walking in the flesh. Okay? <clears throat> uh, Wiest has a quote here. says, The primary thing that needed to be set right about was not the act of sin which they committed, but that they had wandered off the road of grace and were stumbling in the quagmire of self-dependence and legalism. Their legalism, their self-dependence, their fleshly walk is what caused their sin. So we need to deal with the root of the problem, not the symptom of the problem. Oftentimes we fail to see that sins are caused by something deeper, okay? I lash out and yell at you, okay? That's a sin, right? But there is a root cause that is deeper than that. There is an attitude inside my heart that is causing me to respond that way. And we need to deal with the root issues. And those issues cannot be dealt with by the flesh. They have to be dealt with by walking in the spirit. Okay? So we cannot walk in the spirit. This is also a corollary to this. We cannot walk in the spirit while we have sin in our lives. We need to restore them to that relationship with Christ. The purpose of all church discipline or confrontation, per interpersonal confrontation, should always be restoration, should be love, should be bringing people back to that relationship. Our goal is not to judge, not to drive people away, but to help and to bring them back. Lashing out at somebody who irritates you is not biblical confrontation, okay? The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You cannot accomplish God's righteousness, God's work in the flesh through fleshly wrath, lashing out at people, okay? The third point we're going to look at is the attitude of those doing the restoration, okay? We're going to spend a little bit of time here because the rest of the section, verses uh, 2 through, actually verses 1 through 5, deal with this concept here, okay? It says here that we are to restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, the spirit of meekness. Meekness is commonly defined as strength under control. It's the picture of a horse that has been yoked, okay? They're under control. They're guidable. But that horse could kill you in a second if he really wanted to, okay? He could throw you. He could trample you under his feet. He has the strength, the ability to do so. But meekness is gentleness. It is, I have, I have the ability to destroy you because of this sin that you have committed. I can make your life miserable, but I hold back because I am being gentle with you. I'm being kind, okay? But it also says that we are to do it with gentleness, but we are also to do it considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Okay? We need to evaluate our own lives and be cautious that we ourselves are not walking in the flesh. And in dealing with, with people who have committed a sin, we should be aware that their sin was caused by them walking in the flesh, and we don't want to get sucked into it as well. Okay? So considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now here's the central com command that I wanted to deal with. It says, bear ye one another's burdens. Okay? Actually, this burden is our responsibility for the welfare 
of our fellow believers. It is it, bearing carries the concept of enduring. Okay, so when it talks about burdens, it's talking about weaknesses of other people. Okay, we all have weaknesses. We all have sins that we are prone to. We have personality fo foibles that do not please the Lord, and all of those things constantly follow us throughout our lives. And so as a believer, I am to bear or to put up or endure under the, the stress, the burden of interpersonal relationships, okay? This is, the other, this is the other side of things. Sometimes people leave because they're just irritated by everybody else around them, or they can't stand this person because this person is so annoying, or this person said this or said that, or responded this way when I said this, okay? And so they get irritated by those things and they leave. Okay? But as a Christian, we are commanded to bear or put up with the human weaknesses of each other. And honestly, it's the person who knows himself, and we'll talk about this in a second as well, knows himself that he is a sinner that is more likely to put up with the sins of other people. It's only proud, arrogant people who cannot bear other people's sins because they think that they're so much better and, ever, and you're just an idiot for responding that way or being that way. Why can't you overcome this in your life? You've been struggling with this for how many years now? Okay, that's pride kicking in. I'm obviously better than you because I don't struggle with this thing for 10 years at a time. You know, I have, I have problems with uh, my temper at times, okay? Confession here. And that isn't something that just goes away magically, okay? We have personality traits that are built into us that do not please God. And it might take an entire lifetime to defeat those things, to overcome those things. There are some sins in people's lives that have become a stronghold, where Satan has built up a fortress in your life because you have allowed him control in a certain area, and that doesn't magically just disappear in an instant, okay? We have these problems that continue on and on and on, and we can't just write people off because of that. We are to bear, we are to put up, with the weaknesses of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If it is sin, let's deal with it. Let's do verse number one. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. Let's try to restore them. But if it's just human weaknesses, human, human idiosyncrasies and stupidity, which also can be sin, let's bear with those things. Let's put up with those things. And by doing so, we are showing love, right? Okay, the rest of the verse says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What did Jesus teach was the fulfilling of the law? It was love, right? So you can kind of work this backwards. By bearing one another's burdens, we are showing love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are being loving. Okay? <clears throat> Verse number three, if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, okay? This verse contrasts the person who is bearing with the burdens of other people. The person who is not bearing with the, with the human weaknesses of other people is the pride person. He's the man that thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing. As a Christian, we need to realize that we are nothing except for what Jesus Christ makes us. Every good thing that is, that is in my life was given to me by God. Every good thing that I've done, every personality trait that I have that is good, every victory that I, ha that I have in my life over sins was given to me by God. 
in and of myself, I am nothing. It is what God has done in my life. So if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He's lying to himself if he thinks that he is just, I'm so great, I'm better than everybody else. Okay? But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So the challenge here is that proud man needs to examine his own life to see if he is really pleasing to the Lord. And if he is, then he'll have rejoicing between himself and the Lord. Okay? And he doesn't have to flaunt it, to brag about it, to make everybody else recognize it, because he is satisfied with his relationship between himself and with God. And honestly, again, this comes back to the idea, such an examination removes from us any sense of superiority because we see for ourselves who we truly are. Daily, I think, honestly, the people who think that they are, are the most spiritual are usually the people who do not realize that they sin every single day. There are a lot of times where we think the wrong thoughts. We feel the wrong things and we entertain those feelings. There are times when we tell little white lies or where we're selfish, we're prideful. These types of sins plague us daily. And so the person who thinks that they are spiritual, a lot of times the self-deceived person is not aware of how deep sin really goes in their lives. And when you realize how much you are plagued by sin, you will have mercy, you will have compassion, you will have meekness towards the people that you are dealing with in your Christian life. Again, in uh, verse number five, for every man shall bear his own burden, okay? Now, the word burden in these two verses is different. You'll, you you kind of see these two things here. They seem like a contradiction. Verse two says, bear ye one another's burdens. Verse five says, you need to bear your own burden, okay? They are two different Greek words, but it is like, most likely that the, Paul is not trying to make a distinction. They're just being used synonymously, okay? And it's kind of a paradox here. It is the man who bears his own weight of sin that is the most likely to help someone else bear their weight of sin. Okay? Is the man who, again, it goes back to this idea. If I know that I have sin in my life, I am more likely to help somebody else with theirs. To reach out in compassion and help them deal with the struggles that they have. If they've been overtaken in a fault, I am going to have compassion and I'm going to reach out and help them. Okay? And when I thought about this, this concept here, I couldn't help but think about the story of Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you guys have ever read Pilgrim's Progress? No? Okay. It's a classic written by John Bunyan. Other than the Bible, supposedly, statistically, I doubt it's, it's probably been succeeded since then. But for a long period of time, Pilgrim's Progress was the second most popular book ever printed, other than the Bible. Okay? And it is an allegory telling the story of a man named Pilgrim who leaves the city of destruction with a big, huge burden on his back. It's pictured by this huge backpack that is weighing him down. And the closer and closer he gets to the cross, the more he journeys on, the heavier that burden gets, right? Okay. At the cross, the burden falls off. Jesus lifts his burden of sin. He is made free. But he has to continue on in his Christian life, and he meets many different people, some of them good, some of them bad, he makes some friends. One of his best friends was a man named Faithful. Faithful was killed. I believe it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the city. Was it? Vanity Fair. There you go. Okay. In the city of Vanity Fair. Okay. He's tried and they kill him. 
and he gets to go to heaven early. But Christian is let go, and he continues on, right? Well, Christian makes another friend as he journeys along in his life, a man named Hopeful, okay? Hopeful isn't necessarily as strong of a Christian as Faithful was, but he is a good friend. He is a good companion to Christian. And he comes to the end of his life, and they have made it to the land of Beulah. Beulah land was the land before you crossed over the river of death into the celestial city, which pictured all of this pictured heaven, okay? And as they approach the river, I'm going to read a passage to you from Pilgrim's Progress. It says, they then addressed themselves to the water. They entered the water, okay? Christian began to sink, and crying out to his good friend Hopeful, he said, I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. All his waves go over me, Salah. Then said the other, Hopeful, be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom. It is good. Then said Christian, ah, my friend, the sorrows of death have compassed me about. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with that, a great darkness and horror fell over Christian, so that he could not see before him. Also here, he in great measure lost his senses, so that he could neither remember nor orderly talk of any of those sweet refreshments that he had met with in, his, in the way of his pilgrimage. But all the words that he spake still tended to discover that he had horror of mind and heart fears that he should die in that river and never obtain entrance in at the gate. Here also, as they stood by perceived, he was much in, tr in the troublesome thoughts of sins that he had committed, both since and before he, he became, began to be a pilgrim. It was also observed that he was troubled with the apparition of hobgoblins and evil spirits, Forever and anon he would imitate so much by words. Hopeful, therefore, here had much ado to keep his brother's head above water. Yea, sometimes he would be quite gone down, and then ere a while he would rise up again half dead. Hopeful also would endeavor to comfort him, saying, Brother, I see the gate, and men are standing by to receive us. But Christian would answer, It is you, it is you they wait for. You have been hopeful ever since I knew you, and so have you, said, said he to Christian. Ah, brother, said he, surely, if I was right, he would now arise to help me. But for my sins, he hath brought me into the snare and hath left me. Then said, hopeful, my brother, you have quite forgot the text, where it is said of the wicked, there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Psalm 73, verse 4 and 5. These troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God hath forsaken you, but are sent to try you, whether you will call to mind that which hitherto for you have received of his goodness and live upon him in your distress. Then I saw in my dream that Christian was as an amuse a while, to whom also hopeful added this word, be of good cheer, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, and with that Christian break out with a loud voice, Oh, I see him again, and he tells me, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And though the rivers, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. Then they both took courage, and the enemy was after that all as still as a stone until they were gone over. So here we have a scene. Christian is going through the river of death. He is, he is going through probably one of the, the hardest times of his life. He is dying, okay? And who is there to help him? He's, he's Christian struggling, he's discouraged, he's afraid, he feels like God has forsaken him and God has not truly saved him at this moment, and Hopeful comes along and encourages him and speaks words of truth. He quotes the Bible, he encourage, 
encourages Christian that God has delivered you. He has done all these things throughout your entire life. Why would he forsake you now? And he reminds him that God will deliver him through the waters. And so Christian has a man that he can fall back upon. Hopeful is, in essence, bearing Christian's burdens. Christian has a problem. That problem is fear. But hopeful is putting up with that problem, that sin. He is enduring it. He is bearing it for his brother and helping carry him through. And so what I'm really trying to get at with this entire message is that as believers in a relationship, in a church together, we are called to endure the sins and the weaknesses of our other brothers in Christ. We are not to cast each other off and to run away whenever a problem rises up. We shouldn't take it lightly whenever we have to leave a church or whenever we're, we have to move on. It's, again, going back to that illustration of a marriage. A good marriage means that couples work through their problems. They forgive. They restore each other when sins have been committed. Okay? My wife and I, we have a policy, and this is from the Bible. We do not go to, be to bed angry with each other. Now, sometimes that means I'm up till 3 o'clock in the morning. No. Okay, so, but that is our policy. Because we have made it a point we are not going to allow problems in our marriage to be unresolved, to be undealt with. And as a Christian, we cannot allow issues to be unresolved. If it is sin, if it is something that is damaging, destroying, let's deal with it. The spiritual men of the church rise up and confront in, loving, in the loving spirit of meekness. But if it's just the common everyday weaknesses, the failures that we all face, let's bear those, let's endure those. And let's not let these things drive us apart, but let's be who God called us to be as a church. Again, they will know you are my disciples by your love. Are we showing love in the way we react with one another? So I challenge you this morning that let's not Let's not let these problems split us, but let's fix these problems. Let's deal with them. Let's lovingly confront each other. If I could have the pianist, we're going to have a time of invitation this morning. You know, close your eyes and bow your heads, and the pianist will play. I'm not going to make you stand today, but I just want you to think about what I've talked about. Is there a relationship between you and somebody else in this church that has been damaged? How can we fix that? What can we do about it? And Carrie, you can go ahead and play when you're ready. So. What can we do to solve these problems? Or is it something where we need to just deal with? If it is, let's deal with it. Let's pray to the Lord. Let's say, Lord, help us to have wisdom as we struggle with this. If it is just dealing with the irritations that daily come because we're with other let's bear those. Let's endure them need to come forward and make something right, I challenge you to go ahead and step up from your seat and come to the altar. If not, just spend some time praying in your seat today.
could all look up here. We're uh, going to close in a, in a word of prayer this morning. And if you need to talk to anybody about anything, feel free to come see me or my wife and we'll talk with you. Again, keep praying for Pastor as he's traveling back this week. Um, he'll be with us uh, Wednesday, I believe, and uh, look forward to hearing him preach then. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and the practicality of how it applies to our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would be the loving people that you have called us to be as a church, that we would endure, we would deal with sin as it approaches, Lord, but Lord, that we would most of all be glorifying to you as your children. We love you in Jesus' name.